Good afternoon and welcome to Startup Nation, our weekly podcast that celebrates innovation and entrepreneurship. Startup Nation is brought to you by Dublin Business Innovation Centre, where ambitious founders get support to start and scale new businesses. And at Dublin BIC, we work with startups to get them investor ready and also to help them raise the funding needed to grow their business. I'm Connor Carmody and I hope you'll stay with me as we explore emerging trends in the world of technology and business. Today, we're all about the money and specifically we're talking about raising early stage investment with some of our experts. And there are indications that 2022 will be a year of opportunity, particularly for startups and fast growth businesses seeking backing from VCs and angel funders. When we look at some of the global trends such as fintech, climate change, sustainability and a host of other new innovations, these open the door for businesses with disruptive ideas and products to get funding, but also to give the VCs and the funders the returns that they need. And so today we're going to look at the big trends and issues in investing. We're going to try and understand the process from the investor's perspective, get a sense of what funders are looking for, and finally try to figure out and help you, the entrepreneur, decide what do you need to do to raise the funds. So hopefully a whistle-stop tour on all things investment. And to help me understand this landscape, I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Watson, Managing Partner at DBIC Ventures, and John Phelan, National Director at HBAN, the All-Island Network. Okay, so Richard, John, you are very welcome and thanks for taking part today. Thanks for having us, Connor. Thanks for having us. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks, Richard. And maybe I'll kick off with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about you uh, and the fund that you manage. I won't ramble on about myself for too long. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, look, I'm a techie by background, uh, techie turned investor. So I, I've been investing in startups. I started in the UK in 2006, investing in startups over there in, in the northeast of England. And then moved back to back home to Dublin in 2009. Um, where I met up with uh, Michael Culligan, CEO of Dublin Bic, and quickly got involved with the fund that uh, that we were managing at the time, the AIB Seed Fund. So that was that was a really active fund. I think we were one of the most active at the time. We were co-managing that fund, and between sort of 2000, and, well, I came back in 09 up to 2015, we built up a portfolio of about 40 companies, um, sort of pre-seed and seed stage um, companies, and you know um, some of them. Done very well, some not so well as you, uh, the usual spread. Uh, you know, we've had some good exits. There's, there's a good cohort in there. Um, the likes of Newswood, Visible Thread, Video Elephant, um, Great Beyond, to name a few, that are going along very well. But uh, you know, when you go in early, uh, the timelines to exit can can, can take time. Um, so we that that fund invested up to 2015, and then uh, we set about raising a new fund, which we launched, uh, got to our first close on in 2019. And uh, got to a final close on just the the, the end of last year, um, so I'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, yeah, and that's Debic Ventures is the name of that new fund. That, that's Debic. Debic Ventures um, is is the kind of the, the venture arm of Dublin Bank. Okay, the name of the fund we don't even use really. You know, uh, we don't talk about it because we just think of it as Fund One, Fund Two. Yeah, the yeah. previous fund had a name, the AIBC fund. Uh, this this new fund, uh, yeah, we launched in 2019, and we're we're really active. Super. We'll come back. Uh, we'll come back and dig into that. John, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining us. Tell us a bit about you and about HPAN. There you go. Thanks, Connor. I, I suppose my first career is in animation and games, so that's where I started my my uh, commercial life. And I suppose I had my first business uh, in animation in the UK, actually, and then moved to Chicago to run a games company. And then when I came back here, I I fell into this world that that we we exist in now in about 2005. 
and started looking at HBAN or HBAP as it was called then back in about 2007. So I've been involved with, with Dublin BIC and HBAN or HBAP since about 2005, 2006 when we kicked it off. And HBAN has since grown into, into something which at the time we set it up, nobody believed we could get to. When we did the first year in 2007 and we did a million investment everybody is saying that's fantastic you, you you will never do much more than that and where we're at now is we've done over 650 deals uh over what 150 million has been invested in those 650 deals by by the hbat network but on top of that uh there's been leverage demand so those 650 companies have actually had about 480 million invested in them in the last 10, 12 years. So there's a phenomenal amount of capital has been invested in those companies. Then if you take it back to how that's grown from that 1 million in 2007, in 2021, we did 18 million was invested by HBAN Angels. On top of that, another 100 million was invested. So 118 million got invested in 71 companies last year uh, through HBAN. So it's grown phenomenally. Um, and I think that's that's testament to the all-island team that's around the country and the the, the, the team at Dublin Bick and at HBAN who manage it. So, fantastic, yeah. fantastic story, John. Uh, and we'll come back to it uh, and get into a bit of detail. While you have the floor, can I ask you to set a global context for me? What's happening, you know, around investing in general. So I, I kind of talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and I hear there's no money available. The money's only going into software. You know, I hear some talk about impact investing as the latest kind of uh, area that's arising. But I'd love at a global and a macro level, what's your sense of that kind of whole world of entrepreneurship and investment? So we see an awful lot from the US through the ACA, which is the Angel Capital Association. And we see an awful lot through EBAN, which is the European Business Angel Network. And we sit on the boards of, of, of EBAN and we do all, a lot, a lot of partnership work with the ACA. So we have access to all the, 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 the macro figures of what's actually happening in the world. And that reflects pretty much what we see in Ireland, to be honest. I mean, how, how it's evolved... The, the story I tell is that it's evolved from, in 2007, we used to get three people in a room who used to tell us they have loads of money to invest in companies. And we used to get three companies in the room that told us they were the best companies in the world. Neither of those was true. <laughs> <laughs> Both on, on the investor side, they never, had the, they never had the money they said they had. And on the, 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 the company side, they were never as good as they ever thought they yeah. were. How that's matured and evolved over the years is phenomenal from both sides of that equation. So what we saw in those days was one, one um, angel just investing in a company. Now, then what we saw was syndicates coming in. Syndicates have evolved, and that started in the US more than anywhere else, where basically these people start pooling their money together. And what, what, what we see typically now is about 10 investors going into one company, but they'll put 25K each into that company. So the company still gets 250 grand, but they also get the knowledge from 10 people around the table who may or may not have the experience to help them and guide them into commercial markets or, or technology plays or whatever they need to do. So, so it leverages up everything that you have. And, and then we saw syndicates evolving and growing. And then what we saw around the country was that we have a number of different syndicates uh, around the country, and they started investing with each other. So we saw syndicates investing with syndicates. Um, and then we saw we have an international 
diaspora who are interested. So we have ones in London, Singapore, Dubai, New York. They started investing with the syndicates who were investing with the syndicates. So it's now got really complex to the extent that one day last year we had just under 50 people would have invested in one company. But that was their fourth round of investment. And the company now just raised five million, all from angels. So it's grown phenomenally in terms of the power. That's the evolution we've seen. In terms of people going back to your question, Connor, um, uh, is there money available? There is, but it's got to be to the right. You've got to be asking the right people the right question with the right product. Um, so, so I've yet to see a company that didn't deserve money not get it. And what are the, like if a hard question, but if I said to you, what are the three or four big sectors that you see kind of, you know, if you were starting a company today, that's the one you'd go after. Is it a fintech? And everyone talks about that. Is it, you know, sustainability? What's, what's the, what are the big ticket sectors that, that when you look out across the globe? So the one we saw in, in HBAN last year was, was a general ICT, which I think you could take that as enterprise SaaS. And the reason that's come, came on um, so well in 2020 and 2021 is that the world started working from home. Yeah. So therefore, enterprise SaaS and how that scales, uh, uh, that accelerated phenomenally. The other big one we see in Ireland is medtech. We have a, we've got a very big medtech syndicate out in Galway from HBAN, and they do an awful lot of really good, strong investments, and they've got really good investors in there. And then, yes, the Impact one we just launched yesterday, actually, uh, the HBAN Impact Syndicate uh, with Faye, Driard Walsh, yeah. uh, chairing it, and, and Julian Seymour did a lot of the heavy lifting on the, the HBAN side. And that has got a huge amount of interest because it encapsulates a lot of different things because it's, it's, it's still undefined as what, what is impact. And, and a lot of people are still going, well, I don't quite understand it. But actually, if it does good and it has a commercial return, then you can basically say it's an impact investment. Yeah. Okay, very good. Richard, so if I step down to an Irish level uh, from that global piece, so the criticism or the commentary I hear is that there is no money available in Ireland for entrepreneurs. There's a shortage of early stage and seed capital money. What's your take on that? I can understand why <coughs> why people kind of, you know, you talk to companies that don't get funded. I mean, the reality is there's not enough capital to, follow, uh, capital to fund all the startups. So like in any given year, we'll meet 250 startups. We'll only invest in about half a dozen new companies each year. Um, but I would say overall, so there's a lot, I'll give you some statistics now from the from the IBCA venture polls, just kind of showing um, we've really, the, the ecosystem here is really stronger than it's ever been. Um, you know, if we look at the sort of uh, the, the VC funding, uh, we've had a, a number of new seed funds and there are a number of new seed funds coming to market now. You know, we're not long in the market with our new funds and highly active we completed sort of five deals in the last quarter with another two underway. Um, John talked about HBAN. Um, we're seeing a lot of international money now coming into Ireland. If you look at the, the funding stats for, for 2021, uh, VC funding was up 44% on the previous year. Now, 2020 was, was a challenging year but because of the pandemic, but there was a big rebound in 2021. Um, total in, uh, VC funding in Ireland hitting 1.3 billion, which is a record high. Uh, but really importantly, 57% of the investment here in 2021 was from overseas. Now that is skewed towards some larger deals, sort of seven, eight, even nine-figure deals. 
But if you just look overall at the funding in Ireland, like if you look at the number of deals that were closed in 2021 versus 2020, they're up about 20%, 279 deals. So, you know, I've been back here since 2009 and I've just, you know, the ecosystem here has really gone from strength to strength and we're getting noticed now by, you know, large US VCs and European VCs. I get a lot of um, European VCs and some from the US reaching out. They want to build relationships um, with seed investors here that they can, you know, they don't have visibility in all the deal flow. Um, but, you know, many of these are large funds and good partners for, for you know, for following on in, in meaningful Series A and B rounds. So is there, so picking up a point that John said to us there that he never saw a company that didn't deserve to get funded, not get funded. In other words, those companies that are really good at what they do will get funded. Is yeah. there possibly an unfair or an unrealistic expectation that every company who has an idea will get funded? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, I fully agree with what John said, and I'd have the same observation there. I think any really good company, they, they, they'll get funded. Um, you know, there are certain sectors that that, that, that struggle a bit, and there's certain, there's certain businesses that really just probably can't scale. Um, you know, they just, you know, we're investing risk capital. We've got to believe the companies can really scale uh, and give us a good return to make up for the ones that don't because, you know, we're in the area of risk. But I would concur that, you know, any good software med tech company, um, you know, that, that's that's out there will get funded. That, that can scale that we believe, you know, can deliver a good exit. There are certain sectors where it's a bit, there is kind of a, a, a market failure, I would say, like for some hardware companies, a lot of funds now and angel investors will be focused on software. Um, you know, with our fund, if you look at our fund, our focus is 70% B2B SaaS. You know, that's where most of the deal flow is. Um, 30%, 25-30% of the deals we do are medtech. Um, that's my, my own background, a medtech engineer. Started out with startups in, in the medtech space in Sweden. And touching on what John said there earlier, there's, there's a very good um, medtech angel community here that we co-invest with and that have the you know good deep pockets when they syndicate together to co-invest with because medtech companies need a lot of funding. Yeah. However, if you look at sort of startup sort of, you know, spin-outs from universities and other uh, sort of high-tech companies, you know, say in the semiconductor space or sort of optical communications or kind of telecoms hardware, they find it tough to, to raise funding because more and more investors are really focusing increasingly on, on software. Right. So there is, there is this point around there's money available for good companies with good ideas, but then you're going to get into are they are they talking to what those investors want around B two B and SaaS software, and it seems to be very strong. And if you're outside of that, it's going to be a challenge. So what I might come back to you, Richard, later on is is kind of how do I as an entrepreneur increase my chances of success? So I'll come back to you on that, John. But, but sorry, Connor, just to pull on that thread a little bit, and it might be kind of interesting. Just just the, the reason why people are investing in SaaS software is because it's capital light, and it's getting capital lighter the more you go on, whereas you can build an MVP five, 10 years ago, it used to, you used to you know, need a whole stack of engineers and you used to need a whole pile of servers and hardware and everything else. That's all gone. So now you can actually build something, bring it to market really quickly, very capital light, which is why people want to go in. It's capital light. You can fail really quickly. Uh, and if it starts to accelerate, you can pump a load of cash into it. So that's the reason why people are going into that. But going back to Richard's observation, which is that there is uh, market failure on hardware, there's market failure on high capital intensive early stage startups. But the reason for that is because they have access to all these these capital light uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, deals. So 
I still think there's 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 a huge opportunity to to go after those high capital intensive ones. They're higher risk. They may need government intervention. They may need EWIS intervention or something like that. But there are opportunities still there which which are being missed. Definitely, it's a great point, John. Then do those higher capital intensive startups do they offer a greater return potentially than a software SaaS company or is it just that the odds are stacked against them because the SaaS company is always going to have the higher valuation? It's probably the odds are stacked against them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because they can't scale as quickly either. Yeah, I mean, the reality is like the, the, just the, the size of the funds here, like, you know, we're, we're, we're a 32 million fund. Um, if you're going to invest in hardware, you need to be able to follow on. Um, you know, to John's point there, it's very capital intensive. Can't deliver high returns. But you really need an ecosystem of very, very large funds. You know, all VCs invest in a portfolio of companies, 25, 30 companies, sometimes more, sometimes a bit less. But if you're, if you're backing a lot of hardware companies, you're going to need a very, very big fund to be able to follow on and, and go the journey for those that actually make it. So uh, that's, you know. Sorry, Richard, I was going to say the second part of that is timing. So if you're thinking about bringing something to the market at a certain time, which is this moment in time is the right time to do it, if you do it in software and you get it wrong, it's not going to cost you a huge amount. But if you invest high amounts of capital into a, a hardware or something that's tangible or needs, requires a lot of research, but somebody else comes out with something that just leapfrogs everything you're doing, that's your risk. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, we saw that in our previous fund. I mean, we invested in companies that were sort of selling hardware companies selling into the EV sector back in sort of 2012. And, uh, you know, um, they invested a fair bit of money in their tech and the market was early. They couldn't really go and repurpose themselves. They really, you know, had to wait for EV market to take off. And that, that probably was started three, four five years later than people had anticipated. Um, we did similar, a similar investment in, in the biofuel space. And we thought it was a great technology solving a big problem, but the problem was the market was a bit early and, and uh, had other pain points, wasn't quite there commercially. Time, timing is everything. John, talk a little bit about angel funding. Explain kind of what it is. And I suppose my question are around the structure of, of angel funding that, that you're kind of delivering through HBAN. But I'm also interested in the, the investors that are in there, the profile of them and why do they do it and what do they want out of it? Yeah, no, I think the easiest way to explain what we do is that we're a dating agency. That's that's the reality of yeah. what we do. So the, the way I explain it is that we're a marriage with a planned divorce. So the marriage piece is that we bring together uh, really good quality deal flow. And we get to see somewhere between five and 700 deals a year, inquiries. And of that, we only bring about 150 to the, to, to the network that we believe can get invested in. Now, that... that that doesn't necessarily mean that we we're turning away uh, bad companies or good companies. We do turn away good companies because we don't believe that we can get them investment. And we've turned away a lot of good companies, which is really unfortunate for us. But we, we, we bring to our network what we believe is, is that we can get invested in. So if we look at it like that from one side and then the other side, we have high net worth individuals who want to invest in early stage companies that are well filtered and well prepared. We bring the two together. That's the marriage part. But after that, we let them go at it. And the uh, divorce bit, which which always sounds a bit dangerous, is the exit. And that's where the investors get their return. And that would typically be a trade sale. But we're starting to see some secondary markets coming in now. Uh, we saw one uh, yesterday, actually, which was the investors got 
a good, very good multiple back on their their investment after only four years being in the company. So that's that that's really encouraging. What's, sorry, what's the secondary market, John? Sorry, a secondary market is when a large VC or private equity firm comes in and says, "Right, I want to clean up the cap table. There's too many people on there." Uh, which could cause us problems later on, or it's just messy. Yeah. So rather than leave them sitting there uh, making multiples of, of, of money in the future, we'll take them out at a 5 or a 10x now. So they'll be happy. They'll get 5 or 10x of their, their investment back in four years' time. So now now, now they're, they're happy. They've got a big return. Their, their risk is gone <clears throat> because they, they, they've sold their shares. And the private equity group or the VC takes on all the, 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 the shares. So, sorry, that's the secondary market. Okay. So, the, the, the early investor is happy to take a, a good return, not maybe not the, 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 but take a good return and get out. And, and, and then the private equity or the VC then says, I'll take it from here and we'll run because it needs much, much more money. So, therefore, we're Correct. going to run it from here. Absolutely. So, we, we, we're seeing a lot more of those. And what is the profile of the angel investor? Like, why are they doing this? So I would have said there, there's, there's two, typically there's two different types of angels who come into us. One is the cashed out entrepreneur. So those who have built their own companies, made it, uh, cashed out, uh, are coming back at it again. And, and either A, want to invest because they want to return. That's their first primary motive. Yeah. But also to, to get involved because the world that, 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 we, that we work in and we live in, it's a bubble of optimism and it's really, it's exciting meeting people who are creating new things for the world and they have that ambition and that optimism. And it's just an exciting part to, to be, it's an exciting world to be in, but it's hugely satisfying when you see them succeed. And to be part of that success is very satisfying just, just to work in that area. And I think a lot of the, the angels who come in really want to help the, 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 the early stage founders get over those initial bumps because they've been through it. They know what it's like. They know how hard it is. And it is, let's be honest, it is bloody hard. It's yeah. bloody difficult. And if they can help guide them on that journey, that gives them a huge satisfaction. But it also means that they are going to, in, they are going to increase their potential return. So that's, that's the first profile of, entrepreneur, of, of Angel. The second that we see is large sort of multinational executives coming back from overseas who have a massive network internationally, um, may not have gone through the entrepreneurial journey, but they may have done an entrepreneurial journey in that they may have gone through a multinational journey in terms of how they've grown and how they've created new products and everything else internally. But they've also got a huge network internationally. So they could plug this company in or this early stage company into a massive network, which could be a global supply chain. They could get a massive contract out of it. That's the second profile of person that we're seeing. Right. And we're now, we're now beginning to see younger um, uh, audiences coming in or younger investors coming in. We're beginning to see multinational investors who, um, sorry, multinational employees who would start to make um, their their share options are starting to make their returns. They're starting to dip their toes into this water and try to understand if they can actually get involved in this world. So yeah, we're beginning to see a few different profiles coming in. Superb. Richard, same question from a different lens. What is a VC or what are VC funds and how does that kind of work? Like what's in it for you? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, we're investing in the same types of companies that the H-Band angels invest in. You know, in fact, you know, if we look at our last sort of half dozen deals or so, we all, the H-Band are in every deal. The difference is, you know, angels are investing their own money 
uh, some will invest in two or three companies and be quite conservative and be very selective. Some will invest, you know, maybe in 20 companies over a period of time. What we, VC fund is, we're, we're not investing our own money like angels. We're basically, we, we've gone out and raised money from institutional investors and private investors. In our fund, we've got uh, 35 tech owners, business leaders, some of whom we would have invested in in the past or advised uh, an enterprise Ireland. So they've entrusted us with their money and their money is basically tied up in the fund for, for 10 years. So, you know, an angel will do their DD on the company. Anybody investing in us is, is really doing all the due diligence on us and looking at our track record. And so they're kind of trusting us with their money. We manage this pool of money and, and, and we invest a small amount of our own money as well um, as an organization into the fund too, to make sure there's, there's good alignment. But effectively, we're, we're, you know, we're not looking at, you know, in a, Going back to what I said earlier, like an angel might just do a few deals. Some angels might just do a few deals and they're looking at the kind of returns of those individual deals. We're taking a, a portfolio approach with our fund. We're investing in 25 to 30 companies. It's risk capital. It's uh, We're going in for full upside, full downside. What we've said to our investors is, look, this is a 10-year fund. We're going to invest in 25 companies or so in the first five years. That's when we do our, our you know, our, our first rounds. And then... We'll follow on on the companies that are performing, and when those companies ultimately exit, we'll deliver a return. And what investors in a VC fund it, it expect is a good multiple, a good return, given the level of risk and given the fact that their money is tied up for sort of ten years, and uh, sometimes a little bit longer. And um, so, you know, we're we're looking at it, we're we're building a portfolio of companies. The difference, I suppose, between us and angels would be. A fund, I can't say this for all angels, you know, some of the medtech syndicates and life science syndicates would follow on in a very meaningful way, and many H-band angels do, but we would hold back the majority of our fund for following on. So, you know, going the full journey um, with a company. The reality is that every company we invest in has to have the potential to, to give us a 10x return or higher, uh, you know, commensurate with the level of risk. And, but the reality is, you know, and startups kind of sometimes think, GD Max, that's very greedy. Why are you looking for such a high return? <laughs> Every company has to have that potential, but the reality is, you know, less than 10% will probably deliver that type of return. What will actually happen with a portfolio of companies is, you know, we'll lose our money in a third of the companies. You know, we just won't follow on in those companies. Some of those companies we will have followed on in and they just subsequently, you know, they didn't they didn't perform. And then, you know, probably half the companies we invest in will give us a return, you know, get our money back at low sort of uh, low kind of multiple two or three X uh, and then, and then, you know, a small proportion will give us a kind of five X plus return. And we're building a portfolio of companies. Uh, there's certain companies we go into with, there's probably three um, that we've gone into so far um, that I would say that any one of these companies, if they really perform, have the potential to make the fund. So we could actually have one company that just is a complete outlier you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> comes a unicorn or does very well and get a really high return. Um, equally, those three companies m might not get any return. But, you know, there's some, certain companies we go into where we think, well, okay, we're not going to get like a massive multiple, but we get five to 10x. Um, you know, and the risk profile is a bit lower than one that could potentially give us a 30x. One difference between ourselves and angels is, you know, if we, if we get a quick exit, we're not really into quick exits in DC. I mean, it's great to get a, a relatively... Um, early exit with a high multiple but you know what angels if they you know they get their money back they can recycle the money it's their money so you know we do see angels going into deals where you know there's probably you know a lower multiple potential you know less than 5x within a short period of time we prefer 
higher multiple potential over a longer period of time. And that's not to say that many angels, of course, invest that way too, but we can't recycle any returns we get. So if we get like a two or three X return in a company, you know, we invested in two years ago, that's not really a good outcome for us because overall we want to make a three X for the fund. You know, that's our target. Okay. So that's, so, so, in the, the model that you built as you were pitching this out to your funders, you get some that are the winners, some that'll just plod along in the middle, some that'll lose. But overall, as a fund, you're probably looking for, to, to deliver at the end of your 10-year life cycle a 3-4x return on the entire amount invested. Yeah, that's right. It's sort of, you know, it, it really depends on, on those outliers, you know, that it, the more kind of 10x pluses you get, you know, one or two of those can really make Absolutely. a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, for sure is there'll be there'll be a chunk that we get nothing back on. I can yes. say that categorically. Um, you know, we're in the business of taking risk. It, it, you know, it's John. What John said earlier it is, you know, a long term marriage with a planned divorce. We yeah. spend a lot of time getting to know the team before we invest, and uh, for us, it's very much about just finding the team that we can go on the journey with. And uh, it's all about the divorce, have. Richard. It's all about the it's divorce. <laughs> John, can I come to you? So the popular perception in the market is that it's really difficult to get in front of investors, that they're kind of really difficult to talk to. Um, they're not really in the business of giving out the money. It's kind of a, the whole thing is tough. Um, I, I was talking to an investor the other day who said, actually, I'm in the game of selling too. I need to get my money away and I need to get it to the right company. What's the reality of that kind of marriage, that dance, as you describe it, of the investor and the entrepreneur coming together. Um, you, you kind of, the old Dragon's Den bit, the, the lads in their in their kind of pinstripe suits and all of that sort. It, the reality is very different, I take it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Dragon's Den has done everybody in this industry an awful disservice <laughs> because it's just so far removed from reality to yeah. what we see. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, is there an opportunity for more investment to go into more companies in this country? Yes, I think there is. Um, could it be done through HBAN or others? Yes. Do I think there's money to be unlocked there from the private sector through EIS that could be made easier to access? Yes. Um, do I think HBAN is opportunity to grow? Absolutely. I, I think we live in a bubble where we think, actually, a lot of people understand and know what HBAN is. You talk to anybody outside of this bubble of what we exist in, they have a clue who yeah, HBAN yeah. is. Yeah. And then when you look at it and you say, well, listen, there's actually 10 times the amount of people don't know who we are, who are investing. If they could see the quality of the deal flow coming in, would they invest rather than just going out and, and doing their own deal flow, which is basically coming through friends and family? Absolutely. So do I think we can 10 times this? Yes. And is there the opportunity to do it? Yes. How does that reflect for the companies coming in? If you go back to the original statement I had about we see between five and 700 that come into us, we don't take in all of those five to 700 because we don't, I mean, Richard just disappeared. <laughs> uh, we, we don't see the five to 700 because we don't think that our investors will invest in them. And that doesn't mean that they're not good. It just means that they're not fit for us. If we have a wider range of angels on there, do we think we get more companies away? Absolutely. Some companies need to target different groups um, that are interested in the sectors that they're investing in. I do get a lot of people coming into us with tokenizations and blockchain and everything else. And our guys don't get that. 
Um, and, and that's not a reflection on the companies. It's just a reflection on us and a reflection on our investors who, who just don't understand it. I mean, for, for me, I'm looking at tokenization of, of companies. I'm sort of going, well, that's a double risk in my mind because on the one side, you've got a startup company, which is risky enough in their own right. And then you want us to put money into tokenizations, which is, where's that all going? So I, I, I think there's there's complexities that people bring in, which which is, isn't needed and creates more risk. Um, and, and then, so going back to your original question, Connor, which is, is it easy to get money in this, this country? Not all companies deserve money. That's the reality. Um, I think a lot of companies that we would see, and I think we said earlier on, that deserve money have got it. At the same time, you know what? If companies go to the UK or the US and raise money, good for them. That's not a bad thing. We're a small country, I think. If you keep remembering that we're only the size of Manchester, yeah, um, and we don't have to have everything. We miss a lot of good companies, as will Richard, as will any VC fund, as will any private equity fund. And that's, that's fine. Um, but as long as there's enough capital for good companies to get well capitalized, and have the potential for follow-on funding and to scale globally, that that roadmap is there. So there, there, there is that opportunity. So while I hear people saying that there's not enough capital available, I think we can get more capital to be available, uh, is, the, is the answer to that question. But that doesn't mean that all those companies deserve to get invested in either. And also the point you make there is that, you know, as a company you've got to understand who you're actually selling to and you've got to pitch to the right people at the right time with the right product and stuff. Richard, talk, so same question to you, just maybe different slant on it. The big VC sitting in your ivory tower there, um, are, you, are, you, are you really in the business of meeting early stage startups and, and are they, do they have a fair shot of pitching to you and getting investment? Yeah, I mean, look, we sit in our every towers at home a lot of the time, and um, you know, based in the GEC. Um, I mean, some you hear from others that oh, you, it's much better to get a warm introduction to a VC through somebody that knows them. And you know, in our view, that we just love meeting startups. We want to be great startups all the time. It's the lifeblood of our funds. We're actively encouraging companies, even if they're perhaps a little bit early, to come to us. Um, they can reach out by email through our website. Through, through, you know, finding a mutual contact. We're not, we're not precious about how companies come to us. We just want to meet really interesting startups. And, you know, as I said, meeting them early is good because we can kind of build that relationship. Um, you know, quite a few of the deals we've done now are companies that we first met two years ago. And we said, we really like what you're doing, but you're just a bit early. And if you kind of do X, Y, and Z, uh, you know, come back to us or let's keep in touch and see how you progress. And do you give that very clear signpost to the startup that you meet? Do you say, look, you know, if, I, if, if I'm to really take you and to kind of really take you on board, there's two, three things, I don't know, traction, you know, product development, whatever. Do you give that level of feedback? We do. And there's nuance. We, we, we do indeed. I mean, look, there's, there's kind of three reasons, um, you know, we won't uh, in, in invest. Um, I suppose, you know, companies not being investor ready um, or, or more, more often just being too early. Yeah. Um, and, and if they're either of those, we'll give them the feedback and say, look, we really like what you're doing. We like the space you're in. We like your backgrounds. But you need to go off and fix this or go and get some further market validation there or build your team a little bit more. You know, we want to see a CTO coming in and, yeah. okay, it's fine outsourcing R&D, but you need to internalize that. So we'll say, look, if you go and do those things and come back to us, let's keep in touch. You know, we've got an open door. 
um, you know, keep us updated. We, we, we like that. And, and then there's a third category of companies that we say no to, and that's just they're not a fit. And they're either not a fit because, you know, they're not in our strategy. They're, they're, they're too far gone. They're in different sectors like food or sectors that we don't invest in. Or, you know, they're one of the companies we feel maybe they don't deserve. It sounds hard. Don't deserve. They, they're not going to deliver the type of return that we expect in the time frame. Yeah. So, you know, capital is a scarce resource. I think the ecosystem here is really going from strength to strength. But not everybody um, is going to get funded or gets funded or deserves to get funded. Some of those, you know, are better. Our, our, our lifestyle businesses or, you know, they're just we don't see them all scaling um, you know, globally. <laughs> and so, so we, we, you know, we back those that we believe have the, the best chance of kind of going out and competing well on a global stage and giving us a return. So, yeah, look, we're going to say no to a lot of companies, most of the companies, because we invest in half a dozen and we meet 250 every year. Very good. But yeah. we yeah. love, we love meeting great companies. I mean, we want, I get excited when a new company comes in and we're like, wow, they're good. no company ticks all the boxes. There's no perfect early stage company. There's always gaps. Yeah. But think- what we really want to see is, exciting companies coming to us and connor just pulling that thread a bit i mean it's, it's a good point to make which is that there's a lot of early stage companies if you think where where certainly our age ban is we've moved along the line in terms of the value that, that we will invest or the stage of development that we'll invest in the average now is is just over a million euros is invested in a company and everybody comes to us looking for that give, can you give us that 100k or that 200k and the average amount invested from age ban is 250k but it's leveraged by another 750 or a million. So it's actually up to a million to a million and a half, which means they generally come to us well validated. So technically they're validated and commercially they're validated, which means that there is still a market failure in that 100 to 200K mark, which which I think is the area you're, you're sort of commenting where every resource has no money for me here. And you know what? They're right. There is a market failure in that space and there is a an opportunity to get in there. We should be down in that space. I keep saying that, that we should be. But we can, we're, all we're doing is bringing private capital to the table. We can't force them down into that really high-risk yeah. area. Yeah. Um, so is there a way to do that? Well, yes, there's funds like Richard's. There's, there's using EIS to help people go, you know what, it is worth me investing in that very early stage stuff because I'm going to get, uh, I'm not going to lose as much as I, I really could do, yeah. which is what, what I'm generally going to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I do think there is a fair argument to be made that there is a market failure at that very early stage and that we need to put more capital into it. Very good. And, and then there are some companies that, you know, I fully agree with what John said there, you know, and that's not that gap is often plugged by sort of family, friends, bootstrapping, classic bootstrapping, um, some private investors from a sector. But equally, what we see quite a bit of as well is companies coming to us. If you're like, if you're a B two B SaaS company, to John's point earlier on, you know, it, if you've got the right team and you, and you you've got tech co-founders, you know, I mean, it's sweat equity. There's, there's no there's no capital investment required. It's, it's people's time. Yeah. But we do see quite a number of companies that are kind of outsourcing all their R and D, and they come to us and they say, "We're looking to raise half a million to develop an MVP." Uh, kind of. If you're a software company, there's, a, there's an expectation at seed stage that you have that. And why are you looking to raise 500k? That's a bit of a turnoff for us because we're like, you, you've got to be resilient. You've got to be creative. You, you know, go out and bring in some tech resources. Give 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 some equity to technical co-founders. Don't just outsource everything at the beginning and, and expect investors to kind of cough that up before you've got any proof of yeah. product market fit. Yeah. 
Understood. John, I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, We're just out of time. And thanks uh, to you both for your time this morning. John, you mentioned at the outset that you've, in your time at HBAN, have kind of sat on top of, if I may, 480 million in total leveraged investment over those kind of last 10, 15 years. If I asked you for those, what has been, for the companies, what has been the single biggest predictor of success? Uh, People. People and team. Always. Uh, the ability for a founder founding group to have, going back to what Richard just said there, to have both the technical capability and the commercial capability, that's a huge piece of it. But then the integrity of that team and how they treat other people and other people's money with respect, including their own team and their customers and everybody else, to me, they're huge indicators of really good potential to succeed more than more than timing uh yeah because the team if it's bad timing and the team can uh, if they're resilient going back to richard's comment if they're resilient enough they can adapt and pivot and do something which then keeps them going till the timing's right fantastic richard watson managing partner at dbic ventures and john phelan national director at hban thank you so much for your time this morning a really interesting chat and look forward to speaking to you soon Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed hearing our deep dive into the world of investing and that hopefully gives you a sense of what's required to get the funding needed to scale and to grow your business. If you have a great idea and are thinking of starting and scaling a company, if you would like some support, do get in touch with us at startup at dublinbic.ie. That's it now from Startup Nation. Good afternoon. Good afternoon.